today on From A to Ziggy. Amazing! Welcome to From A to Ziggy. This is the podcast where we listen to every single Bowie song in alphabetical order. My name is Thomas. And I am Travis. And today we're listening to Amazing. This is from the Ten Machine album, Ten Machine, from 1989. This is another one of those super exciting tonal shift episodes. Oh yeah, right. This is, of all the shifts that Bowie made, I don't want to say it's one of them. It's the most amazing or the most it's, interesting or the most out there. It's probably the gutsiest. It, well, that's, that's the other thing. Well, it's, what does it do, really? So This is his shift from solo artist David Bowie. King of the pop world, one of the biggest artists on the planet, and then decides, I want to start a band where everyone has equal say and it's going to be loud and strange yeah. and abrasive. This is a guy with a huge ego, right? And he's singular. That's like that's the way he's defined. He's got the weird eyes. He's got the glam background, and then just like on top of uh, the pop charts with Let's Dance, and then well recognized from movies and things. He's not someone that blends into the background well. He's somebody that stands out. It's a really odd time to decide that's the direction you want to go. You don't see a lot of solo artists who weren't previously in successful bands decided that's the direction they want to go. I want to give up having complete control and just make it a more of a total group collaboration. But I wonder how like collaborative it was Like when it comes down to votes and, and how we want to do things. At the end of the day, does he get to say, yes, I respect all of your opinions, but I did the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, so I think I know what's best. Right, yeah. Probably there was still some ego in there like what was the uh delegation of votes uh in the band yeah like was it all was did david bowie end up actually pulling all the strings did reeves cabrels have some say what was the electoral college makeup yeah. of tin machine bowie was i can almost unequivocally say was california in that, <laughs> in that process um for our international listeners of course we're talking about the very <laughs> esoteric and archaic electoral college oh god I, you know i don't even think about that like internet means that there actually could be someone who's from not here yeah that could listen to this there could be there could theoretically someone that we know could like tell someone who knows someone who lives somewhere else yeah that they should listen to this right damn antarctica somewhere yeah one of our five listeners is in who knows where anywhere anywhere Mars. so yeah tin machine this is a really interesting shift interesting move to become part of a band so a few weeks back i had gone on vacation and i brought the rolling stone david bowie issue with me to read on the plane and i got to the section about tin machine and they're talking about what the band was listening to what they were drawing from and the, the artists that they cite in the article that they were inspired by uh were john coltrane miles davis cream the pixies hendrix glenn bronca sonic youth strauss and stravinsky and well, I have a passing knowledge of classical music, and I do have an appreciation for jazz. Hendrix, Cream, and the Pixies. Like, oh man, I'm really intrigued by this. And Sonic Youth, like, that's like all stuff that I grew up around and really dig. So I was really intrigued by this, and then very excited that one of the first episodes that we were going to record when I got back from this trip was a Tin Machine track. So I got to dive right into into my intrigue. So this was my amazing was my first my first toe in the pool. And it, it won me over pretty quick. Which is funny. It's kind of 
atypical among the songs on that album. Yeah, when I read more about it, it definitely did, like... It's kind of more melodic yeah. than a lot of the stuff on Tin Machine. It's a little bit less abrasive yeah. than a lot of that stuff. It's kind of a prototypical alternative arena rock song. Yeah, the whole album is kind of like that. There's this reverb to the vocals, the same kind of sound that you hear on 10 by Pearl Jam. And this is pre-10. Yeah. So um, 10 Machine actually gets a lot of credit for sort of generating the, the grunge sound. Like uh, years later, Kurt Cobain was attributing some of Nirvana's sound to 10 Machine. It does have a lot of that, like, it's... It has a lot of those like loud, quiet, loud qualities to it, and that like meandering guitars. Yeah, the lead riff in the song really reminded me of Airbag, uh, the opening track on OK Computer. And the other thing that like my first thought listening to it was, was it's like basically three and a half minutes of soaring chorus. Like the verses soar, the chorus soar. It's just like a very big song. Yeah, you can sort of imagine listening to it and having like wind blowing from the speakers blowing your hair back. I closed my eyes and I could picture David Bowie at the edge of the stage like this like wide like power rock stance basically like grabbing the bike and just like I am crazy just like and like bow 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 like this ascending riff just like and you could like see like the flashing lights and the crowd going crazy it's just it really it sucks you into this like arena rock fantasy. Well have you heard the live version? Yes. From, um, from Oive? From Oive Baby, which is a, okay, just a slight tangent under so, that. <laughs> Obviously, or, or not, I don't, it wasn't, I don't think it was obvious to me. So this is a parody on the title of uh, Octung Baby. The, uh, I did not realize that. Right. You two had come out, just come out with uh, Octung Baby. So this is Oive Baby. That's brilliant. <laughs> Ten Machine. That's brilliant. Much like uh, when the Beatles were doing Revolver, Ringo has this penchant for coming up with Ringoisms, like Eight Days a Week, Hard Days Night. His choice for the album title for Revolver was After Geography, which is like a parody of the Rolling Stones' Aftermath. After Geography. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that is a tidbit about Revolver that has escaped me. That's fantastic. Um, so, didn't succeed in that case, but uh, Ringo's legacy lives on in the form of Oive Baby. So yeah, there's a lot of great live versions. I was really disappointed there wasn't a live video of it. Mm. I feel like this is a video, like whoever has copies of that on the internet, put it on YouTube. Like we're deprived of getting to watch like what this song looks like played live. Yeah, there's got to be a bootleg video out there. It's got to happen eventually. Maybe we can ask Kanye to troll uh, yeah. the Pirate Bay for us. <laughs> Get on that, Kanye. Find it for us and hook us up. Yeah, but I mean, lyrically, this is it's a pretty straightforward love song. Yeah, because I, this is the kind of stuff I love. I, I'm not a bashed power pop lover. I love loud rock songs that are just basic, straightforward, cheesy love songs. But well done. It's totally like rife with cliches, but it's done so well that it's fun. Yeah, this is... It's a sweet sort of love song, although there's the very, the second half of the first verse betrays a little bit of insecurity when he says, I'm scared you'll meet someone in whom you'll confide. It's like, maybe you'll realize this, uh, this whole thing's not, not really uh, as ideal as, as we'd like to pretend it is, but uh, there it is. Maybe it's a testament to how much of a anxious, crazy person I am, but I'm a firm believer if you don't spend at least some of your time waiting for the other shoe to drop, you're not really in a meaningful relationship. There's always that like part of you that's just waiting. Just 
when is she going to realize she can do better? Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, he's still... Yeah, and self-deprecating, too, from the very beginning. I'm yeah. lazy. Yeah, really, this, like, I feel like this probably should be my song. <laughs> I think it's, like, super ambitious, like, spitfire of a lady, and I spend most of my time laying around in sweatpants on YouTube. But hey. Yeah, you know, the more I think about it, the more I read these lyrics, it's more, it is more insecure. Like, it kind of reminds me of um, that, uh, we're going to talk about Jacques Brel later this week, but uh, the Jacques Brel song, uh, Ne Pas, which uh, Scott Walker covered and turned into uh, If You Go Away. Uh, it's kind of like this. It's, the message is sort of like that. It's like, uh, don't go. Uh, please don't go. <laughs> hey. Uh, things things are great yeah. here. Don't go. If I if I was aware of this song at the time, this probably would have gone on the last like mix CD that I made for someone. Like <laughs> this really is like it's right in my lyrical wheelhouse of just like I really dig you. Please don't realize that I don't deserve this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much where this song sits. Yeah. is in that that space, and it it's perfect for the time because. As we've probably mentioned before, it is insecurity ruled the day in the 90s from a lyrical standpoint. And I mean, this came out in 89, but like mid 89. So it kind of was leading into the 90s. So it kind of was like a precursor to that age of all the love songs had that like little tinge of negativity to it. But that makes it more relatable. It's not a real love song if you're not doubting yourself a little bit in it. Yeah. This is um, this is one step past absolute beginners. Yeah, this does feel like kind of the next step in the relationship after absolute beginners. Um, I guess we could talk a little bit about uh, Tin Machine, the band. There's uh, so of course it's fronted by David Bowie, and then he's got uh, the lead guitarist is Reeves Cabrels, who does some really impressive work with like feedback and all kinds of sound effects. Uh, he's got a really interesting style. And who would later be, as Mick Ronson was in the 70s, the architect of the David Bowie sound in the 90s. And again, like, and, and not to keep belaboring the same bands, but like listening to the guitar is like the, the Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead blueprint. Sometimes I, you know, I'll hear bits and pieces of it when I'm listening to The Clash and the Pixies, because those are two other bands that influenced them a lot. But I didn't even fully grasp. I didn't realize that that was just like the tip of the iceberg until I started getting exposed to the Tim Machine stuff. Like that's really, really sounds like where his guitar sound came from. Just like that chaotic, but beautiful, all over the place. Yeah, he knows how to toe the line between fitting in it to the measure and, and hit, hitting notes that make a melodic sense and then just going fully chaotic and you know, skipping out of the rhythm and making wild sound effects. Yeah, there was something on the um, on the Wikipedia where they made mention of, it doesn't really matter where, where you're going as long as you end it on the right note. As long as you hit the right note at the end, everything else is fine. Just explore explore the studio space, so to speak. So you gotta, yeah, as long as you resolve. Yeah. You know, that's psychologically, I guess. It's, it, it's, I guess it's a psychological effect. It's like... Okay. It's like he found someone to do with the guitar, what he had just had done with piano on Aladdin Sane. Hmm. Which, yeah, it's just that, like, but we just seem to have this thing about coming full circle with things. Like, it felt like the piano on Aladdin Sane kind of inspired the Pixies, and then the Pixies kind of inspired Tin Machine. Yeah, because like you were saying, this has got that uh, loud, soft, loud 
kind of sound like you were describing the Pixies before. Uh, the other members of uh, Tin Machine, the Sales Brothers, Hunt Sales on drums and Tony Sales on bass. And then Kevin Armstrong, our friend, oh, speaking of Absolute Beginners, Kevin Armstrong from uh, Absolute Beginners on rhythm guitar, the sort of fifth member of Tin Machine. He doesn't get as much credit as the rest. But he does get a special, um, special thanks in the liner notes with a picture, a photograph, a very stern-looking photograph of Kevin Armstrong. A very stern-looking photograph. Yeah, and he's got these great glasses, shades. He looks, he, in that picture, he looks like he should be in on a conspiracy from the X-Files. Yeah, and so this band was put together after Bowie's uh, Sound and Vision tour, where he sort of finally, once and for all, put his greatest hits in the David Bowie Disney vault forever, he thought, and started this group with Reeves. I guess Reeves Cabrales had been hanging out during the Sound and Vision tour. I think that's how the story goes. And um, they started jamming and, and putting things together. They put together a new recording of a song from Lodger for a dance troupe, a German dance troupe, and put together this act that had a new recording of the song from Lodger, Look Back in Anger. And so Reeves Cabrales was instrumental in putting that together. So that same kind of sound became the next generation of, of the Bowie sound. And Bowie subverted his ego and became just the front man for Tim Machine. So the story goes. Yeah. Now I'm just, I'm rocking my brain. I'm trying to think if there's any, when you think about the timeline and, and you know, his different twists and turns, trying to find some kind of like, is there a parallel? Is there some kind of parallel? Would anyone like, could anyone pull this off? What would happen if someone tried to pull this off? And I can't think of any kind of precedent from someone, um, someone doing. So I'm trying like, to think Three of such disparate kinds of music going from like this heavy glam rock, to pop to the early stages of grunge and going from like the biggest solo pop star in the world to just another dude in a band like that doesn't happen and like really the only close the close and this is like not even really that close but the closest thing i could think of and it's not even that popular so another one of my my 90s pleasures juliana hatfield so she had a couple big singles in the early 90s that were uh, like from the single soundtrack. Spin the Bottle was uh, like her bigger single at the time. And then she had like a couple solo albums. She was like kind of grungy, kind of folk rock. And then she put out a, a series of very well received, critically, folk rock albums. And then at the same time she put out this album, Peace and Love, that's a very like mellow folk album. She put together a band called Juliana's Pony and just made this like super loud, abrasive rock record. But she was a, kind of just a cult figure at that point. So no one in the grander pop world really gave a crap, except for dorks who really like Juliana Hatfield. Well, no, I, that might be the same thing, because uh, it sounds like the only thing that really sets Juliana Hatfield apart from David Bowie is that David Bowie is phenomenally famous. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really gutsy move to go from the biggest pop star in the world to playing just loud rock music. And it, it speaks to, you know, one of his old interviews that we'd cited before when he said, if you're ever comfortable, then you're just not doing it right. Yeah, right. I think it was a two-stage thing. This went hand in hand with abandoning his back catalog. Find something new, but he's, he starts off on this journey with a really capable and fun, it looks like it was really fun. Like they really had fun yeah. recording this album, performing these songs. What else can we say about this song. 
Oh, you know what? <laughs> I did have one more thing. It's kind of a tangent, though. When I was listening to this song, it totally gave me the urge to go back and watch the video for Aerosmith's Amazing. It's like whenever it mentions a song called Amazing, that's just always my, like my first recall. Which video is this? So this was the second one in the Alicia Silverstone uh, trilogy. And it, again, was the most like spot on for that period thing that could have happened. It was the most 1993 thing that ever could have 1993. Was, was this like, the one where she uh, bungee jumps with the navel piercing? No, that's that's crying. Okay. This is the, but there's not there's little like callbacks to that video in the amazing video. This is the one with the virtual reality headset. And he's like doing this like ideal reality on the computer. 1993, he was like, oh my God, technology, it's amazing. All these things that can happen. Is it like a, a weird science? Uh, kind of, yeah. Like he kind of creates this whole scenario where they're riding around on a motorcycle. And it's so it's, it's Jeremy London. And he creates like this perfect version of himself on the virtual reality. And then they're like riding on motorcycles. And then they, they're hitchhiking and they get picked up by a biplane. And they sky surf off the biplane. And then at the end, there's this M. Night Shyamalan twist where Alicia Silverstone is actually the one of the computer controlling Jeremy London, controlling this virtual reality. Whoa. It's, yeah, it's crazy. But it's not crazy because crazy is the next song in the trilogy. I, I wasn't proud of myself for going back to that. But uh, um, it was an important video in my formative years. I loved Alicia Silverstone when I was like 11. Yeah. Um, and then that reminds me, so I'm totally, I'm going to get to live the reality of this music video. So are you familiar with Google Cardboard? Uh, this is like a virtual reality. Yeah. So I ordered this thing. It should be coming in the mail tomorrow. It's really just like a cardboard box and you put these magnifying glasses in it and then you stick your phone in the box and there's these apps and you just get like this virtual reality where you can like ride on roller coasters or live in parts of the new Star Wars movie or go down the Nile. It's like this crazy... Are they video or yeah. like some computer of it's video. generated, interactive? Some of it is just, I think CNN or someone like that has a, an app for it where it's just people who just shot these like 360 degree videos and you get to place yourself into this reality. Interesting. Yeah. Aerosmith predicted the future. Steven Tyler has no idea what's going on in the present at any time <laughs> in his life, but still somehow is clairvoyant enough to like, virtual reality, guys, you're all going to have it. I, all I want out of life is to use that virtual reality box to go into the amazing video. I, that's, if someone creates that app, I will give them all of my money. And then, of course, the secret twist is you are being controlled by someone using a virtual reality device. I, I, God, I hope it's Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> She's totally crazy now. She's one of those, like, vaxxer people, I no believe. Way. She's amazing. She way is amazing, amazing. But she's also crazy. Yeah, she's both amazing and crazy. Which is fitting, because she is in both of those videos. <laughs> what was the third one? The first one? Uh, crying. Crying. Which is the one where... It, crying. video is the most... has those freaking 90s thing that... That whole trilogy. Like, bungee jumping off of body piercings and... Escaping from the, the all-girl school. Yeah. That was, that was crazy. And it's his daughter... And she does like this amateur strip show thing. Oh god, that that video is uncomfortable. But yeah, <laughs> Aerosmith, Tin Machine, Tin Machine, Tin Machine. To get back on the real amazing that we're talking about, um, I I would give this song three virtual reality biplanes 
I will also give it three virtual reality biplanes. I agree with that. It's it's not a perfect song, but it it lifts you up. It soars. It's it's good early nineties, late eighties arena rock. Yeah. Um, all right, we should call it quits. Yeah, for today. Uh, move on to uh, next time. Next time we're gonna we're gonna keep riding the Tin Machine. We're going yes. to another song from Tin Machine. That's right. Although different album. Yes. Tin Machine 2. The other Tin Machine album. Tin Machine 2. The re-Tin Machining. Everybody loves a good sequel. Yeah, till then. Until then. Come back uh, Wednesday. Uh, We'll be talking about Amapura. Yeah, go outside and listen to this on Wednesday, by the way. It's it's supposed to be like 70 degrees. I walked... So this this is the most New England thing that's ever happened. I walked to record this in the snow... Like snow blowing in my face. And then when this episode comes out, it's going to be 70 degrees out. So I hope everyone who lives in this area downloads this onto their mobile device and goes and lies around in the Arboretum and listens to this episode. If you don't have access to those things in your faraway land you're listening to, go outside and listen to this out, this, this episode. I think they have Arboretums in Antarctica. They must. Go frolic with a penguin to the sounds of amazing. Till then, uh, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, we're From A to Ziggy. Go to fromadaziggy.com, uh, leave us a comment, tell us what you thought of Amazing. Send us an email, podcast at fromadaziggy.com. Till then, I'm Thomas. I'm Travis. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's true.